just a moment. Last week, we started uh, a lesson, and uh, you, you're good, Brother Jeremy. I'm just going to go from, from here. And uh, we were talking on, uh, talking about the first church. And basically breaking down uh, what the first church believed. And uh, I asked the question, and it's a question, uh, and the reason I'm kind of reiterating uh, everything that we did last week is because some of you weren't able to be here. And so if you've already heard some of this stuff, bear with me because I want to catch every, everyone up. But uh, we asked the, the question, and we've been asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And wow, what, how, many, how many ways do we have? Uh, 34,000. <laughs> that you didn't beat, beat me to it. 34,000 actually. Uh, there are 34,000 different Christian religions uh, worldwide. 34,000 different ways. 34,000 different salvation messages. And I think we can all agree uh, tonight that there's not 34,000 ways. There's just not 34,000 ways. Uh, and so uh, last week we took the New Testament and uh, we broke it down. It's been something that has been uh, weighing on my heart uh, for a long time. This is something I've been working on and, and I've, I've talked to mom and dad about it and we've just now been able to get to it. But uh, this is not something we just said, hey, let's do it this week. It's something we've been praying about. Because if we do not know what we believe, then we are in extreme trouble. And if we do not know how to defend the word of the Lord, then we're not helping anyone. And at the end of the day, the last day, the Bible says that his word is what's going to judge us. It's not going to be my opinion. My opinion does not matter. Uh, it doesn't matter how I feel. The word of the Lord is what is going to be set before us. And some of you uh, were taking notes. And so uh, if you've got your notes, you can keep them out uh, tonight. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break down just real quickly. I don't have my notes. You might can help me out a little bit uh, for the first lesson. But we broke down the New Testament. We broke down the New Testament. And what you have is, is you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then uh, that's called the Gospels. What, what are the Gospels? That is basically a record. The death, the burial, the resurrection, the story of Jesus' life. Uh, basically of what they seen, the way they seen it, the angle that they saw it, their perspective. And so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you go on and you take uh, the book of Acts. There's the book of Acts. And you have to take it in chronological order because that's what messes things up. People take the, they take scripture out of context. They just pull a scripture out and they lay it down and, and say, well, this is what I believe. And, then, and you can't do that. You can't do that because every scripture was aligned. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He knows exactly where every scripture, every verse, every word in the word of the Lord is placed. And so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, basically a, a record of the death, the burial, the resurrection. And then you have the book of Acts, which is church history. And then you have Romans to Jude. Does anyone remember what Romans to Jude is? The letters. The epistles. That is what Paul was writing. 
Paul wrote every, what an amazing man Paul was, uh, writing all of, uh, almost half of uh, the New Testament there, and, and was what, uh, what an amazing guy he was. But what were the letters? The letters were written to established churches. You're right. They were written to people who were already saved. It was letters to established people. It was letters to people who had already heard the gospel, who had already seen the salvation message. And so he was writing to people who were already established. Established churches, established saints, established people, pastors. That's what the letters were Romans to Jude so you can then you have revelations so you cannot take any you cannot take the salvation message from people who Paul was talking to who were already saved you can't do that it would be taking it out of context as a matter of fact the question what must I do is never asked in Romans to Jude nowhere in the New Testament will you see that question Where's the only place that you will see that question? That is in the book of Acts. That's the only place. It's the first church. And so you have got to understand that that, that is where we find the first church. And so we got that broke down. I wanted to catch you up to speed. There's 34,000 different religions, Christian religions. But at the end of the day, we understand that there's only one way. And so it doesn't matter what I think, Brother John Martindale, is the way. What matters is what the word of the Lord says. So we're going to start tonight on that journey, finding out what the word of the Lord says. Now that we understand how his word is laid out and the importance of rightly dividing the word because you can't just pull it however you want to. You've got to rightly divide it. We should begin our journey to find what doctrine the first church was built on. If that is the first church, if that's the book of Acts and that's where the first church was built, we have got to find what their doctrine is. I think that would be smart. What did they preach? The only logical way to filter through all the various interpretations is to find the church in its purest form before it began to splinter in so many different religions. And once we find this original church, we must see what salvation message that they obeyed. The first time that we find the word church mentioned in the word of God is in the New Testament. You will find, it's the first place that you will find the word church. And that's what everybody, they want to know what church you go to. I'll, I'll never forget, uh, and I've told this before, but uh, they asked, uh, you know, I was in college and I had some friends and, and uh, one, they were from all different types of denominations and I wasn't technically uh, the greatest Christian at this present time. We won't go into all of that, but, but we were sitting there and we were talking. They weren't either, but you know how it is. Some of the some of the the biggest sinners will have some of the most deep theological discussions, you know, over a, over. I wasn't going to say what over, but you know, and so. So they, we, we were having a discussion then, and then they asked, they asking each other, what does your church 
align whose church does your uh, church align it said what are y'all what are y'all trying to reach and so some of them said you know they mentioned a couple mega churches uh, man if we could be like this church man that's where I feel like our church is trying to head we're trying we're more of a progressive church and this particular person said well we're our church is a little more traditional and there's a church in such and such and and we're trying to and they said Corey what, what is the church your dad pastors because I wasn't even I wasn't a preacher then and and I said well I said, uh, I don't know about a particular church as far as that's existing, you know, technically right now. I can't take you to New York. I take, can't take you to uh, California. But I said, I can take you to the New Testament. And they said, what in the world are you talking I said, it was the first church. They said, what are you talking I said, the early church. And they had no idea what I was talking about. There was a, there is a place, the first time in, in the word that we find the word church, it is mentioned in the New Testament when it was spoken by Jesus himself. And this occurs prior to the crucifixion when he was asking his disciples a very probing question. You remember the story? He says, whom do men say that I am? You remember that? Whom do men say that I am? And in a moment of divine revelation, Peter answered Jesus with these words. He says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus, pleased with, with Peter's response, blessed Peter and acknowledged to all that Peter didn't receive this knowledge from men, but from God. He said, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to them he says he says this, he said that this is something that came from the most high and then jesus uttered this curious proclamation matthew 16 and 18 and i say also unto thee that thou art peter and upon this rock you remember this it's the first time we see it i will build my church it's the first time it's the first time that we see that Jesus, he has a plan. He has a plan. He's, he has come to build his church. And I please, I want you to understand, I want you to notice that Jesus does not say, I am building my church. He doesn't say that. Everything that he says, he means. He doesn't accidentally say it. He's not like me. He doesn't stutter. He doesn't mess up. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't lie. He doesn't, he doesn't scoot around the church or skirt around the truth. He, he means what he says. He doesn't say, I am building my church present, present tense. He says, but that I will build my church future tense. So this tells me that the church has not been built yet. But it's going to be built. It lets me know that in the future. So that tells me that the Gospels, which is before, this is before the book of Acts. That was before. That lets me know that the church has not yet been built. From this statement in Matthew, we can, we can derive that at some point in the future, Jesus is going to have a church. And it will be the church that he himself will build. It wasn't built in the Gospels. But he lets us know that it's going to be built. Now I trust that all Christians would agree. Doesn't matter where, where you go to church. Doesn't matter if you're Baptist. Doesn't matter if you're Catholic. Doesn't matter if you're, 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 you're uh, you know, Church of Christ. It doesn't really. It doesn't matter if you're Pentecostal. I think we would all, uh, we would all agree that there, that 
34,000 Christian religions worldwide with numerous definitions of salvation. I think we could all agree that, that you know, uh, uh, there's not 34,000 different ways. Can we, I mean, it doesn't matter where you, you can, if you don't matter tonight, if you're, if, what, what religion or denomination you are, can we all by the lifting of hands say that there's not 34,000 different ways? It don't matter if you're Baptist, it don't matter if you're Church of Christ, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're, you know, Episcopalian, it doesn't matter. Christ did not say that he would build his churches. He said, I'm going to build my church. I am going to build my church. He didn't say I'm going to build, he was going to build his churches so that we could pick whichever one fits us best. That's, a, you know, today people pick churches not off doctrine anymore. They don't pick them off doctrine. That, 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 what's his name, John Christ, on Facebook? He put, he put a video on there and, and basically making fun of this new generation because we treat churches like like the same way we build, we buy cars. You know, we want to know how is it going to, you know, what, what can it do for us? Is it going to fit my family? You know, how convenient is it going to be? What's the gas mileage? You know, and, and that's what we, we want to know. You know, th those are the, all the carnal things. We, we want to know, you know, how, how good is the music? And I, I know that's important. And we're blessed to, with the greatest music. I thank God for our music. Can we give our praise team a hand? They do awesome. But Jeremy, you do an awesome job. You do an absolutely awesome job. But let me tell you, I am not taking my, my children to a church simply off of, man, they got good music. And I know it's good to go to a church that's, that's active. There's no doubt about that. You need an active church. And you're at the right place. Boy, we're an active church. I, I, don't, I don't know. We, we got something going on all the time. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But if I were to leave this church and I were to move off and I were to move to another city, that is not my number one goal. Is to what is going to keep my family busy if I know they're not preaching the truth, the one true gospel? That is not how we pick the church. That's not how. He didn't build churches and, and say whatever fits you best. He did say though that he would build his church and it all started with just one. One builder of one church with one saving message. We do not find this church to which Jesus is referring established anywhere in the four Gospels. That all changes when we get to the book of Acts. I want you to notice the statement at the end of Acts chapter 2, verse 47. We're in the book of Acts. You know, he says, I'm going, I will build my church. If you have your notes, I want you to write it down. Book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 47. The Bible says this, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. For the very first time in the word of God, in this second chapter of Acts, we find the Lord adding to the church that he said he would build. At this point, there are not numerous various or versions of the plan of salvation. No denominations or doctrinal differences among members exist. There's only one church at this point. There's not 34,000. 
There's not 34,000. There's only one. Only one church with one gospel saving message. If there was ever, if there, if ever there was one church that we could know for certain had the salvation issue exactly right, this would have to be it. This would have to be it. If there was one church that we could go to, and there's a lot of I'm not there's a lot of great churches that exist today. But if there's one church that we could go to and know that they had to have it right, it's this church. It's this church. It's extremely important to understand that at this time in the biblical flow of events that Paul is not yet a Christian. We're fixing to get over it. We went through the Gospels and we've understood that the church is not set up yet. And so, it's, so we've got to understand now what, when it comes to the epistles, when it comes to Paul. Because Paul, a lot of people try to get their salvation message from the writings of Paul. And so we've got to understand while the church is being established right here in the book of Acts... What is going on with Paul? What's happening? And I, we have to understand it that at this time, while all this is going on, that Paul is not yet a Christian. He's, he's murdering Christians at this point. He's, he's hanging Christians. He is stoning Christians. He is, he is cutting the heads off of Christians. Paul was not one of the 12 disciples. And did not convert to Christianity until after the church was already established. Can I get an amen? amen? Do you know that Paul, he was, the church had already been established. He wasn't even around. He wasn't even in the picture. He, he, he was, the church was already fixed. It was already set in place. And then the letters, the epistles that will eventually be written by Paul, they do not yet exist while the church is being built. The church is set in place. The Lord is adding to the church. The letters have not even been written. Where some of us get our salvation while the church is already established. It's already been built. Where we get our stuff, they haven't even been written. They ain't even been thought of yet. They ain't even been, they has not, it, it didn't need letters yet. Because there was no church. Because who was he writing to? The churches. They didn't need the epistles yet. So we've got to understand that. Therefore, it is impossible for this first church to be built upon theology based on any of the letters that follow the book of Acts. In short, this church to which the Lord is adding is established upon what just occurred in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. It is not built on what will be written by Paul many years later. The obvious question we must ask at this juncture is simple. Upon what doctrine is this church built? We understand that now. We, we've got to understand that if we're going to find the doctrine, we've got to find the doctrine of this church. Does that make sense? I hope I haven't lost you yet. Because I don't want to bore you. Because I want you to understand what we believe. I want you to understand that while this world is presenting to you 34,000 different ways, I want you to know the Bible well enough to know that there is only one way. And there was no way that God said, He come down and said, Hey, there's 34,000 different ways. That was never the plan. That was never the plan. What doctrine is this church built on? What gospel did they obey in order to answer these questions? We have to start at the beginning and understand what preceded this statement 
And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. When he said that, when he said, when the Bible says, and the Lord added to the church daily such and such should as should be saved, what preceded this statement? Because that's going to tell us. That is going to tell us what was being preached on that day. To understand what led to this moment where Christ establishes his church, we will follow the chronological order of events because we're not going to break the, the trend now. Can't do that now. We've done that through the whole New Testament. We broke down the Gospels. We broke down Acts. We broke down the letters. We broke down Revelations. So why would we get to Acts and start doing We've got to stay in chronological order. So you have the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3. What does it say? To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Here we see after Jesus has been crucified and has risen from the dead he refers or returns to his disciples not only have they walked with him for approximately three three and a half years they now spend 40 additional days being instructed in what they are to say and do after he ascends so get this picture you've got the crucifixion they've been with him for three and a half years brother Tommy and so before he ascends he could ascend it the next day but there was some stuff left undone. There was, there was some things that had to be put in place. So he took 40 more days. He said, I know you boys been with me three and a half years. He said, but I got 40 more days. He said, give me 40 more days because everything you've seen in three and a half years, he said, these 40 days will set the rest of the world on fire and it will set the message into motion. And he said, the gospel will be in place. Don't give up on me yet. Three and a half years. He says, give me 40 more days. 40 more days, he said, and I'm going to show you. We may safely assume there is no misunderstanding and there is no confusion. What we are about to see is exactly what God intended to happen. To say otherwise, it would say that we serve a wishy-washy God. Do, can I remind you that we serve a God that's not confined by time? That before Abraham was, he said, I am. That he can move in and out. That he's all-knowing. That he, 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 is the, he knows the end from the beginning. That he is the Alpha and Omega. So he don't, he don't change his mind. He, don't, he, don't have, he already knows. So to go against what is happening here, it would be suggesting that oh, Jesus made a mistake. Jesus changed his mind at the last second. Jesus set it all in place. And then he came to Paul and he said, Paul, I messed up. We're going to change this whole deal. How many believes Jesus, God does that? Because if that's the case, we're serving a God that would be similar to me. <laughs> like, oh, good gracious. I set this up and it's a flop. Let's probably, we need to pull out the blueprints and let's rework this a little bit because I don't think it's going to work. Jesus didn't do that. God did not do that. I hope, I hope I'm making sense tonight. I want you to understand that there was 
a purpose for everything that he did. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 1. If you're already there, skip down to verse 4. The Bible says, and being assembled together with them. These are the 40 days. Remember this. Commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. He then instructs them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Ghost. Verse 8 in that same scripture. We know it very well. We, we, we quote it all the time. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. I want you to know that. He says the uttermost parts of the earth. In his final words, Jesus gives his disciples a promise. 40 days. So I'm going to give you a promise. After they receive the Holy Ghost, they will be witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what he says. He said that you're going to get this this, this promise. He said power is going to come upon you. And he said then you're going to be witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now you've got to understand. Somehow these 11 men soon to be 12 again, must reach the entire world. Man, could you imagine the pressure? But Tommy Wilbank, Bob, Bob, could you imagine the pressure, Carrie? Jesus is looking at you. He's been, he's just crucified. You've had a, a rough several months here lately. And he looks at you and he says, you, you, you finally have a little relief. And he says, hey, you 12 right here. He said, you are going to be witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. How in the world? I want you to think about this. Because we would be like, okay, we'll just post a couple posts on Facebook and we'll tag some in it. You know, I got some. We can even boost it. You know, it'll cost you about 10 bucks. You know, we'll boost it and we'll send it out and we'll we'll get it. I'll get James Crocker to, 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 to put it around and we'll touch all everybody around. They didn't have that. They didn't have that. How in the world? They don't have a plane. They don't have a jet. They don't have anything. And I bet they're thinking, the uttermost parts? Are you sure? Somebody wake up tonight. How in the world? But God's ways are amazing and He always has a plan. He always has a plan. Verse 9 says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. He left. He left them with that. You're going to be witness to the othermost part of the world. In the earthly life of Jesus Christ, approximately 33 and a half years, that can be debated from different time to time, he devoted his final three and a half years to public ministry. During this time, he not only went about doing good, healing the sick, opening blind eyes, unstopping deaf ears, but he was also teaching his disciples and those who followed him about the kingdom that was to come. And in the 40 days following the resurrection, we read that he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. And during that time, he spoke to them the things pertaining the kingdom of God. With the ascension, he passed into their hands his mission of seeking and saving that which was lost. Now let me, tell, let me stop right there and get off this the salvation message for just a moment and preach to an established church and write a letter to you like Paul would have and tell you we're not doing doing our job and we're not reading the book if we're not reaching the lost 
I wish I'd get somebody stand to their feet right now and remember what we were called to do. We are fishers of men. It was his mission. It was his desire. It was his goal to reach the lost. His, his last word, Sister Amanda. His last word, Brother, brother Mad. His last words, Tatum. He, he let them know. We've got to be witnesses. We've got to change this world. It only makes sense that their experiences with him dictated their next actions. From his ascension to his adding to the church is a clear path what is, what is about to occur is exactly what Jesus intended. Notice the first thing they do after his ascension. They go to where he told them to go. They didn't disobey him. They, were, they didn't somehow. They were doing what God told them to do. Skip down to verse 12. The Bible says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. The disciples obediently journeyed to Jerusalem. Jesus instructed them not to depart from there until they received the Holy Ghost. There they waited. They are exactly where they are supposed to be. I want you to stay with me. I know last, uh, last Wednesday night, it was a lot of new stuff for some of you. But uh, don't, don't let this old stuff that you've been hearing for 27 years, it's still, it's still the truth, okay? I want you to hear what is Verse 13 and 14, we gotta, we gotta understand it. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room. We know it all the time. We, we, we read about it. This is where the church is being born. It's being birthed right here. And where they abode both Peter and James, John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon and Judas, the brother of James. These also continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And once they are at Jerusalem, they gathered together and joined by others. The book of Acts records the number present in the upper room as 120. As the list given the scripture shows, the group was more than just the twelve, included both men and women, disciples and followers, and even Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her other sons, waiting in the upper room for the promise of the Holy Ghost, because Jesus had told them about it. And the group began to pray. I want you to see this. I want, you to, I want to paint a picture of what is going on. Luke St. Clair told me that one of his friends one time, they went over and they had the privilege of being able to walk into the exact room, the upper room. He said, he said his friend Tony said, when I first walked in there, he said, I thought to myself, how in the world did they get 120 people in that room? I want you to paint... I want a picture painted in your mind right now because this is the most supernatural, most awesome supernatural event that has ever occurred in, 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 in the history of the world up until this point. It's the, it's the day of Pentecost. It's Pentecost about to be laid out upon this world. Something that has never been seen before. And it wasn't in a building like this one. Just a little room. Just a little room where people were probably a little bit uncomfortable. There was no air conditioning. There was no electricity. There wasn't the best choir. There was no choir. There wasn't the best preacher. 
sitting in that room, these people began to pray. And I want you to read. I want to read to you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me Acts chapter 2 and read it with me. I want you to see and I want you to feel what happened that day. What happened this day is what churches are trying to get back into the church. Not just... Not just the apostolic ranks. I talk to the nominal pastors all the time. When my, my chaplain uh, uh, job now, it gives me all kind of opportunity to be able to, to speak and, with different people from different religions and, and different walks, different salvation messages. And every one of you will tell you that, that we want a church that's alive. We want a church that, that's, that's ready for the, the power of the almighty God. And this church, this first church, if that's what you want, that's where you've got to start. The Bible says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. Listen to this. I want you to, I want you to get it in. Don't just hear the words. But I want you to live what is happening right now. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind could you imagine sitting there sitting there in that place could you imagine sitting here tonight that if something if we all would get in one mind in one accord and we came focused on what was about to happen and all of a sudden you hear this sound out of nowhere just a rumbling that's one thing I like when we go to because of the times we go into that place and there's thousands of people there and it's packed in there but you can tell that there are people there who are hungry there are people there in one mind and in one accord and you come there and then they will, when they begin to pray in that place there's a uproar in that place and you know all of a sudden when you step in that place you understand that hey I'm somewhere where people are hungry after the power of the almighty God that's what's got to happen we've got to turn this place into a day of Pentecost we've got to turn this place into the upper room the Bible says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. I mean, that's a, it set on them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance and all of a sudden what Jesus has spoke to them 40 days after Easter 40 days after crucifixion 40 days after the resurrection all of a sudden it comes to pass according to the final words of Jesus in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 the only thing left to happen is for the disciples to be a witness to the uttermost parts of the earth some would look at that and say he missed it there's no way they can get to the uttermost parts there's no way. As a matter of fact, you see this. I want you to notice the very next verse. You see, that's what we do. We think that it works a certain way. And when it doesn't happen a certain way, we think that that's the only way that it could have happened. They didn't walk to the other, the, the, all four quarters. They didn't walk to the uttermost part. But I want you to hear what it says in the very, uh, in, in Acts chapter 2 verse 5. Listen to this. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men. What does it say? Out of every nation under heaven 
That day, when he says the uttermost parts, he said, you're going to witness to the uttermost parts. That day, the, the church is sitting there. It, Jesus was no liar. He, was, he, didn't, he didn't mess anything up. That day, he knew they couldn't get to every, couldn't, they couldn't walk to every place before they died. They couldn't reach every person. But he knew that that day, he said, I got to wait. I know you're going to wait a few days in that upper room. He said, but there's, a, there's somebody from every nation that's going to be touched in that day. He said, you stay there. You stay there. And you're going to be a witness to every nation under heaven. I wish somebody would stand to their feet right now. God called us. He called us to be his church. And that's the church we got got to be. That's the church. Not a weak church. Not a dead church. But a church that understands. It was the feast of Pentecost. Devout men out of every nation under heaven had come to Jerusalem to celebrate this religious holiday. We have no record of the disciples making it to the uttermost parts of the earth with the gospel message. What we do have a record of what God is bringing chosen men and women from the uttermost parts of the earth to that particular place in Jerusalem. Devout men. And it wasn't just just any old person. Devout men out of every nation are now standing right in front of the disciples whom Jesus chose. There was a plan set forth. There was a plan that day that would affect this world for the next 2,000 years. That day. I know, I, I know I'm preaching it and I should be teaching it, but I'm telling you, I'm passionate about it. Because I told Amelia, I said, if we don't pastor an apostolic church, if we don't pastor a book of Acts church, I don't want pastor. I don't want a pastor. I won't be a part of that church because it ain't a church. If it ain't the early church, if it ain't the church that Jesus Christ himself, out of his mouth... Out of his mouth, not a church that says, hey, let's fill the pews and let's do whatever it takes. If it says, hey, we let down on this, let down on that, change our doctrine, change our message, change our salvation. Brother Steve Kerman, I don't want to be a part of it. I didn't become a preacher, so I didn't have to do this and I didn't have to do that. I became a preacher because I wanted to see somebody filled with the Holy Ghost. I became a preacher because I wanted to see somebody get down at an old-fashioned altar in an apostolic moment and God changed their life forever. Book of Acts. Devout men out of every nation are now standing in front of the disciples whom Jesus chose and personally trained. Obviously, whatever he had instructed his disciples to say was important enough for the world to hear. Notice how these devout men of every nation respond after they witness the disciples acting strangely and speaking in tongues after the Holy Ghost has fallen on them. Remember, this is the first time in the history of the world that an event like this has occurred. So it is very understandable that what they witnessed made absolutely no sense to them. Don't make sense. And I understand when people come to church who have never experienced Book of Acts, Church, or Apostolic, or Pentecost. It was no different then as it is now. They're scared to death. They don't understand it. 
I understand if they've never broke down the New Testament. If they've never had anyone explain it to them. I understand if they've never read it. I understand that they, they didn't search it out with fear and trembling. I understand that. Because it was the same on that day. I want you to notice. 12 and 13, the Bible says, and they were all amazed and were in doubt. And so if you're sitting here tonight while I'm preaching and you've already been here a couple times and you've seen some of this stuff happen, let me tell you, I got scripture for it. And let me tell you, I also have scripture for your doubt. Don't feel, don't feel weird. Do not feel weird. And when you have guests come, you tell them, don't, don't get upset. Don't be like, oh Lord, they're, they're, they're scared. They're in they were in doubt that day as well. It didn't make sense to them. It didn't make sense. The Bible says they were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? And then others mocking. What's mocking? He's making fun of it. Oh, come on now. You've been places. You've, you've kind of, oh, God, I go to that Pentecostal church. I know. They're a little crazy down there. Oh, I know how you, I know. You know, you're, you don't want to be seen in Walmart with this one particular person you go to church with. Because they're crazy. They have not gathered that scripture. Do not cast your pearls before the swine. They, wise as a serpent, harmless, harmless as a dove. They don't get it. I understand. I I understand that, that you've been in those places where you don't want to be mocked. Let me tell you something. If you're being mocked, you just remember that you're, you're, it's the same blueprint that the first church that Jesus Christ himself set up. So if you're being mocked, that's a good sign that you're going to a church that may seem crazy to the world, but to the kingdom of heaven, God's looking down and saying, hey, that's exactly what I wanted. That's exactly what I preached. That's exactly what I set in place. They said these men are full of new wine. They're drunk. They're, they got that good stuff. These devout men of every nation are taken back by what they have seen and heard. Some are in doubt while others are mocking, thinking the disciples and those present are in the upper room prayer meeting are drunk with wine. And then Peter speaks up and explains the situation. The same guy. Let's, let me take you back. When, when Jesus said in the Gospels, whom do men say that I am? He says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus has stepped back from, he's surprised and he says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. That guy that Jesus looked up and said, upon this rock will I build my church. It's set in place. And Peter stands up, the very guy that Jesus has chosen, and he looks at them standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem be this known unto you and hearken unto my words he says listen to me in Acts 2 15-36 Peter preaches the first message to a lost and dying world since the ascension of Christ, 
It's the first time. I feel God so strong in this place. For the very first time, after Jesus is hung on a cross, it's been 40 days, more than that, 10 plus after that. For the very first time, Peter preaches the first message. The first sermon. How, what it must have been like. What it must have been like to be a disciple that was there the day that Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And they seen him say it to Peter. And then watching him ascend and saying, go to Jerusalem and wait. And there's the Holy Ghost is all in that place. I mean, it's a service to remember. It's a conference to remember. And tears are flowing. And people who are a little bit divided. You got tax collectors in that place. And all kinds of different men. And people out of every nation. And all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost is a service that you wouldn't even believe. I mean, crazy. And, and then you're sitting there witnessing what it must have been like when Peter, with the anointing of God, sat on him in his death. What God called him to do stands up and he preaches. Peter affirms that the disciples and those in the upper room are not drunk. He says, they're not drunk. They're not drunk as you suppose. And what these men have witnessed was a fulfillment of prop prophecy. He preaches Jesus and his crucifixion and how God raised him from the dead. And then Chu closes by letting them know that God has made the same, this same Jesus whom they crucified, both lions, devout men out of every nation, after they hear his sermon. Acts 2 and 37. He preaches. They said, now when they listen to this, 37, he preaches that message. He's letting them know that Jesus is Lord and Christ. Brother Kerry, they said, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter, and to the arrest of the apostles, men and brethren, they looked at them because the anointing of God is so strong, so thick in that place. And they say, they say, what shall we do? The same men that were in doubt. The same men, Bud Bates, that were mocking and making fun. The same men that didn't believe it was possible. An anointed preacher of God, Megan, Bar Megan Luster, stood up and looked them in the eyes, preaching them the gospel. They look at him. What a change in the atmosphere. Well, what, what, what are we supposed to do, preacher? Oh, I can't tell you how many services I've been a part of, Brother Tommy. Well, when I came in, I seen them snickering on the pews. When I came in, I seen them laughing and didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it preached revival after revival. I remember one in particular. I've told this story before. I preached at a church in Texas and everybody in that place, they didn't have, they didn't care what I had to say. I was so frustrated. They didn't want to hear what I had to say. But I caught eyes with one man that at the first brother Kevin Luster, he didn't listen. It looked like he was looking everywhere else but me. But all of a sudden, conviction fell in that place. And Charlie, I got to preaching and I locked eyes with that man. And I started preaching. And before I got out of there, that man, he stood up at the middle aisle right here. He's an old cowboy. He was about probably in his mid-50s. I didn't know anything about him. And he did like this number right here. And I thought, he's left me. 
That's the only, that's the only guy I had that was even listening to me preach. It's the only one I had. That's the only one that cared, it seemed like. And he's left, and he got about right here, and he stopped. And I kept preaching, and he turned around, and he, he ran to the altar like this right here, and he fell down on his face, and he got down there by the Tommy Wilbank, and that old cowboy's in his 50s, he, he lifted his hands, and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. Speaking in tongues. Just like the day of Pentecost. Just like the book of Acts. Just like Jesus wanted it. And it's the same Peter's preaching. Preaching with anointing. You got to understand what's going on. It ain't just a Bible verse. You got to put yourself there. You got to make those words come to life. He's preaching with everything that he's got in him. And when he gets done, there's an altar call. They say, well, tell us. Tell us what shall we do? They ask, what is it? If we are rightly dividing the word, there is no way we can skip over this moment in time. We wouldn't be here tonight without this moment. There is no way we should dismiss the fact that God had gathered every nation to one place to hear this message. The greatest message. There is no way we should ignore the fact that Peter's answer is about to touch them. Then the known world, Sister Shelley, everybody that is about to touch everybody. We should not be quick to explain away the fact that Peter's answer occurs just a few short verses from the moment we find Lord, the Lord adding to his church. Notice Peter's response to the question posed by those that heard him that day. Verse 38, we know it. Then Peter said unto them, after they said, what must we do? What shall we do? Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In this verse, we find the gospel of the first church in a nutshell. Once they believed, Peter was very clear as to what was, was to happen next. They were to repent. They were to be baptized in his name, in the name of Jesus Christ, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter, however, did not stop with verse 38. He continued. He didn't say this is a one-time deal. And I'm closing with this, Brother Jeremy. You can come play and you can stand to your feet. He says this. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Peter lets them know that this promise of the Holy Ghost is not just for them. He said it's for every person. Everybody. And I want you to notice this response. And I want to stop. Then they gladly received his word. And they were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000. Brother Danny came in 3,000. Could you imagine 
And one day, the church go from 120, Brother Carlos, after you preach the gospel, 3,000 in one service. I want to open these altars tonight. I'm not finished. I want to open these altars tonight. Maybe you've already experienced this. Maybe you already knew this. Maybe you forgot. But I don't think it hurt anybody in this place to get back down to this altar one more time and renew themselves one more time. Oh my God, I feel you in this house so strong.